0: on first class fatherhood all right dads i have a tremendous guest to bring you guys today super bowl champion punter steve weatherford will be here with me in just a few minutes to kick it around about fatherhood and family life today's episode runs a bit longer than normal steve gets some hang time on some of his responses here but i can assure you that what he does share is some excellent advice and he has got a great philosophy on life overall so uh do not miss our conversation it is well worth the investment of your time today so please stick around for the interview Tomorrow on the show, what do you hear, what do you say? I have got the first class father who portrayed my man James Cagney on the stage. Actor Robert Creighton, who is currently playing the villain in Disney's Frozen on Broadway. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And Friday, former Navy SEAL Chad Williams will be here for another Frogman Friday episode. If you have never seen Chad's speech on YouTube titled, uh, I'll Die Before I Quit, I highly recommend you go check it out. His story is incredibly inspiring. So let's go, dads. I am going to cut the monologue short a little bit here today so we can jump right into the action. It is Ash Wednesday. All three of my boys are giving up video games for the next 40 days. My daughter is giving up the YouTube, no YouTube for the four-year-old for 40 days, and I am giving up the quick check sandwiches that I have become massively addicted to, so... um If you got anything interesting that you're giving up for Lent or your kids are are, are doing anything special for Lent, hit me with a DM or hit me up anywhere on social. I'd love to hear about it. And if you get a chance, please hit me with a rating or review over on iTunes and share this podcast with every father in your community. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And let's get right after it here with Steve Weatherford. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. I cannot say thank you enough to all the listeners out there. You will hear a word from my sponsors in the middle of today's interview. If you would like to help me make First Class Fatherhood ad-free, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by hitting the link in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and joining me now is a First Class Father. He is a former NFL punter who was a part of the New York Giants team, which won Super Bowl Forty-six against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. He was named the NFL's fittest man by Muscle and Fitness Magazine. It is a huge privilege for me to say, Steve Weatherford, welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
1: You got it, brother.
0: Okay, here we go. How many kids do you have and how old are they?
1: I've got five kids. I've got four girls and a boy. My son's the
0: oldest. He's 11 and then I've got nine, six, three, and 14 months. Awesome. Yeah, you've got me by one there. What type of uh, sports or activities are they into?
1: Um, my son is big into basketball and soccer. Um, my daughters are really into horses and, uh, and dance. And believe it or not, like my little girls love going to church. Um, so that's like one of their, one of their top hobbies is going to church, which obviously is going to make me happy.
0: Very cool. Please, Steve, take a minute here just to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Uh,
1: I, I think for me, my, my formidable years were, were probably starting in about 8th grade. Um because 8th grade from 7th to 8th grade I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana from age 2 to 13 and then at 13 I moved from from Baton Rouge uh back to where my family's actually from and that's Indiana and it was a really tough time for for me to to change schools because I was uh super skinny, I was a late bloomer. You know, you get to to where you're 13, 14 years old. A lot of the other kids are, like, you know, starting to grow facial hair or hair underneath their arms. And I didn't start shaving until I was 17, so that just gives you kind of paints the picture for, you know, how I really stuck out just at being very uh, immature in regards or in, by comparison to my friends. And I was, a, I was 92 pounds when I was in eighth grade, and I started high school at 108 pounds. And I remember when I was 108 pounds, 14 years old, I remember vividly my four goals. And the first goal I had for myself was I wanted to become a father. I wanted to become a pro athlete. I wanted to become an Olympic champion. And the last goal that I had for myself was I wanted to be on the cover of the the magazine that started my infatuation with with genetic performance and, and health and wellness and, and sports performance, and that was muscle and fitness. So I stole I stole the magazine from the dentist's office when I was in eighth grade, and that's when I really started to fantasize about, you know, building a physique that could achieve just amazing feats, or, you know, regardless if that was in track or football or in the weight room or just in life. Um, and that's that's really where it all started for me. But you know, it sounds crazy to come on your podcast and say the first goal that I had for myself was to be a father. But you can go back and listen to other podcasts that I've done when I've actually spoken about it. You know, you go go listen to to Lewis House School of Greatness, and that was you know I shared the same thing on there because it's to me that's the ultimate honor is to be a father, and I had a great dad. You know, we we had our ups and our downs. Uh, but I, I remember how I used to look at my dad and, and I fantasized when I was 14 years old about one day, you know, another little boy looking up to me the way that I looked up to my dad. And I've just been so blessed to, to be able to experience that with my son and my four daughters.
0: Yeah. What an awesome testimony to having a vision or a dream and then really pursuing it and making it a reality. When did uh, When did you become a father, Steve? How old were you and was it everything you thought it was going to be? How did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life?
1: Yeah, so uh, I went to the University of Illinois, and actually even before I enrolled into the school, I was on my official visit. So I, I lived in uh, Terre Haute, Indiana after I moved from Louisiana. And um, so it was December of my senior year of high school. It was the year 2000, and I was going, I was taking different uh, school visits uh, because I was receiving a lot of different um Scholarship offers from you know LSU and Virginia Tech and um, you know University of Texas and um, I got a scholarship offer from the University of Illinois and so that was an hour and a half from my house. Um, I knew I was going to still be close to my family and it was in the Big Ten and so I took my visit there. And the first night that I was on campus, um, I ran into what would soon become my wife. So it's crazy to think about. You know, the first time I stepped foot on that campus, like, it felt right to me, and I'm sure, it's impossible for me to tell, but I'm sure uh, that my wife and meeting my wife and just that magnetic attraction to, like, not just what she looked like, just how she spoke and, you know, how deeply she felt and just the way she treated other people, like, I'm sure that influenced the University of Illinois campus feeling like home to me because that was just this most beautiful woman I've ever seen, not just physically, just the way that she handled herself. Um, And so long story short, um, the next morning I sat down with the coach, with my parents, and we ended up uh, committing to the University of Illinois. And I had, you know, I don't want to say hundreds, but I had well over 50 college scholarships. And I never took any of the other visits. Um, The first visit I took was to the University of Illinois, and the first woman that I met ended up becoming my wife. And it's just it's crazy how things have have happened for me in my life, but I think that has everything to do with how I interpret it. You know, it's like you could look at life as, as happening to you or life happening for you. And that's not just with you know love stories of meeting your wife. That's life in general. You know, when one opportunity seems to be taken away from you, that really just means there's another opportunity that was better suited for you. And if you can look at life that way from, you know, a perspective of life is happening for me versus to me, it, it really turns obstacles into what seems like opportunities now. And, and I'm very thankful at a young age, I was always very challenged by adversity. And I think that had a lot to do with, you know, my very low self-worth. And the fact that I felt like I needed to achieve and accomplish in order to be worthy of like love and and worthy of you know people caring about me because the only time I really felt like I was was worthy of love or adoration or attention was when I was competing in sports and that's really what shaped and molded my like relentless commitment to winning and being the best because I had extreme ADHD and so when I'm in school I could tell how different I was from everybody and not in a good way. Like, I got in a lot of trouble, nothing, like, super big, but in trouble every single day for talking or can't sit still or cheating on this test or stealing this pen from that kid. And uh, school was really difficult for me. So when I had that athletic outlet of sports, and it was something that came natural to me because God gifted me with some athletic ability, like, it felt Good when you would score a goal in soccer and everybody would celebrate you. And so I really became, like, addicted to that because I felt like that was the only space that I was good enough for people's attention because the other times that I'm getting people's attention, it was always in a negative light because I did something wrong or I broke the rules. Bert, I never answered your initial question, like, becoming a father, how old was I and what was that like for me? I apologize. Uh, Hey, if you haven't noticed, I got a little ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) And I talk a lot. Uh, But I was 24 years old, so I went to the University of Illinois and then had had a very good career there. Our team wasn't very successful as a team. In the four years that I played there, I think we won eight games total. Um, But, you know, that wasn't happening like life wasn't happening to me. Life was happening for me because I'm a punter. So if I'm on a really good team, I'm never going to get an opportunity to showcase my talents. But, you know, as life would have it, God placed me in a place that had a struggling program that didn't have a good offense. And so, dude, I was, you know, I was the only all-conference player. I was the only all-American player. And let's say I would have gone to USC and played with Reggie Bush because we're the same age and we were rookie teammates. What's to say I I played with Reggie Bush his four years and instead of getting 80 punts a season, I'm getting 24 because that's how many USC's punter had. 24 chances out of you know, 12 or 13 games, you're barely getting two punts a game. I was averaging like seven, eight, nine punts a game, and it allowed me to sharpen my tools and showcase my talents which op- that opened up the opportunity. You know, that obstacle ended up being an opportunity for me to, to play at the next level. and um, And I ended up getting married. I got engaged right before I went to training camp my rookie year. We got married five days after the NFC championship game. Um the Saints. We I played the New Orleans Saints my first three years. So our first year we went up to Chicago and played Brian Erlacher and um in Chicago and it was so freaking cold. Uh long story short, we ended up losing that game. Uh Drew Brees was my quarterback and uh, and we got married seven days after that, February tenth. And we had a child. We conceived seven days after we got married, and then we had a kid nine months later, and that was my son Ace. It was an incredible experience, dude. It's like I've won a Super Bowl, so you go, it's like crazy that people would be like, "Well, it's not like you won the Super Bowl." Well, I've won the Super Bowl, and I've had a kid. I would take, I would take the experience of becoming a father over winning a Super Bowl, and that's coming from somebody who's hoisted the trophy. It's, I mean, the dads that are listening to it, they, they know, man. It's just how can you love something you've never met before so deeply the second you see them? It it, it really is. It's, it's a gift. It's magic when it happens.
0: Yeah, very well said. And outside of guys that serve in the military, I would think they get a little closer to it. But for most of us guys, you know, having a kid is the first time in our life that we truly understand what it feels like to put somebody or love somebody more than we love ourselves. And it really just, it can't be explained. It has to be experienced to be appreciated and understood.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not really into like the, the woo woo stuff, but I'm into like quantum energy you know and i'm i'm I truly believe in you know like how like how else can you explain like twins being separated at birth and like the crazy stories that we hear unless there is some type of energy connection that like happens when we're born, you know there's no way to explain it other than it it's metaphysical, and that's how I experience becoming a dad it's it's an out of body experience and it's something that you can't replicate with any drug, with any alcohol, with any achievement that you make in your life, because I I've been so fortunate to to have experienced so many rad things in my life that I can, you know, at thirty six years old, I can speak from a lifetime of experience of being in some really dark places and being addicted to drugs or, you know, having marital problems or, you know, second-guessing my purpose on earth and dealing with depression and dealing with anxiety, and then also during all of this craziness, also winning the Super Bowl. And it's, it's so easy for us to look at people's resumes or look at people's Instagram pages and just assume that their life is amazing. But I was dealing with some really dark things for a really long time, you know, being sexually abused when I was in seventh grade and then having to move from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Terre Haute and being the new kid and the skinny kid and also, you know, kind of carrying around the guilt of what happened when I was in Baton Rouge. And, you know, it's, it's been a wild journey, but looking back on my life, like that happened for me because that's allowed me to be in the place right now where I get to come on a podcast and I'm not here to talk about all the, the crazy, gnarly experiences and achievements and trophies. I'm actually here to connect with other dads because i've been through some gnarly things that i know a lot of people have also been through and maybe haven't had the courage or the vulnerability to talk about publicly because for fear of judgment dude i'm i'm so over judgment and it's still something that you know creeps in every single day cuz everybody wants to be liked but at the end of the day i want to be i want to be real more than i want to be liked and the more real i am the more i'm able to find out in my life how much how much more people care about me and how much more I'm just relatable to people because nobody wants to spend time with somebody who just conquers the world and, and has no problems or at least gives off that aura. There's no connection there. We all have struggles. You know, it's just some people are able to surround themselves with people that lift them higher and challenge them and keep them accountable. And I've been very fortunate in my life to have amazing parents, amazing coaches, and an amazing wife. My support system from the time I was born to to me speaking on this podcast today right now has been unbelievable. And through all of that support that I've had, I've still been addicted to pain pills. I've still been you know, addicted to women, addicted to alcohol. Like I've had some... I've, if we had longer time on this on this podcast, I could tell some really gnarly stories, and, uh, and that's why I started my podcast like six months ago is because I wanted to be able uh, to have my own platform, you know, not an ESPN TV studio or radio studio to tell my story because they'll censor me and they'll tell me what I can and can't share. If I have my podcast, it's going to be the theme that I want to talk about. It's going to be intimate to my life. It's going to be real. It's going to be vulnerable. And it's going to be raw. And... I launched it about six months ago with my wife and it's been therapeutic for me to be able to talk about some of those dark times and struggles that I've had that I've never mentioned before. But now, to be able to see six months go by and the different messages that I receive every single day from the impact that show is making, the impact that this show is making in people's lives, like, it's not work to you. It's not work to me. Like, it's something I feel like I'm like, like I'm drawn to it. It feels good when I do it.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you, Steve. I love the podcasting platform. I mean, I'm only—I'm less than a year into it here. I started it off with a little imagination and faith. I really put out a message that I truly believe in and that I'm passionate about. And before I knew it, I had Deion Sanders on the show. I was just on the field in Atlanta for Super Bowl Media Day, interviewing Tom Brady and all them guys. I mean, it's really been an incredible experience this last year, and I'm—I'm looking forward to the future of the podcast with great anticipation. It's been overwhelming for me to see the response uh, from dads all over the country, all over the world, really, who have uh, really. Supported the show here and loved the message. Let me
1: let me ask you a question. You, know, you talk about you know prime time, Deion Sanders, Tom Brady, best football player that's ever lived, um, Ed Milet, Pedro Kulian, Why do you think they agree to do your show?
0: I would say because number one, being a dad is the most important thing in their lives. Yeah, you started. I mean, you you don't view it like this. This podcast is a
1: business. It's become. It's become a business that you could monetize if you want. But the reason it's successful is because you came into the game with a giving hand. You didn't come into the podcast game thinking, what can the podcast game give me? You came into the podcast game hoping to serve someone, hoping to serve fathers. And because of that, Tom Brady, whose time is extraordinarily, you know, very limited, Ed Milette, Pedro Skulian, I mean, these guys are not, you know, they're not NFL punters that played for 10 years and, you know, made a couple million dollars, and now they're, they're an entrepreneur that, you know, has a seven-figure business. But, dude, Ed Milet wipes his butt with $100 bills. That guy's worth $500 million. There's no <laughs> telling how much Tom Brady is worth. Pedro Skulian has 800 gyms nationwide, 800 that's going to be a billion dollar company soon too. So think about how valuable their time is and think about where they agreed to spend it. Because they want to serve fathers. So dude, that's the tip of the cap the tip of the cap to you is that you're you're playing the game of life right. Because you're you're focusing out. You know, when you focus in, there's there's no ability for you to influence around you. But when you focus out, the universe will fill you back up. So it's like, to me, I I get podcast requests in my DMs on Instagram probably five a day, and I'm not saying that to, like, self-promote or, like, I'm super cool or anything. Like, there's a lot of podcasts out there. The interaction between you and I, when you asked me to be on the show and I heard what the name of the podcast was, I didn't look to see how many downloads you've had, how many subscriptions you had, where you're ranked. I just said yes. Because that's the number one most passionate thing in my life right now is being able to impact and influence men. Because if you and I really want to change the world, we got to get to the kids. And if you want to get to the kids, the next generation, you've got to get to their dads now. So that was a long way for me to say thank you. I'm thankful to be here. And I'm incredibly um, really just honored to be able to have the ears of – the men that are going to influence the world as we'll know it in 15 or 20 years.
0: Well said. And thank you for those kind words, Steve. You know, I drive Uber on the weekends and I'm always hearing from the young men, especially that they have this like negative outlook on fatherhood and family life. Like it's the end of the world. Uh, Life sucks once you become a dad. And I got this podcast going here to be able to get the word out there that, you know, fatherhood is awesome. And and it's not, not my word, the words of some of these incredible men, like the ones you just mentioned there, you know, their words carry a lot more weight than mine do. And to hear these guys talk, despite all their achievements, all their accomplishments that they've had in their lives, they say that, you know, fatherhood has been the greatest experience and has brought them the most joy and fulfillment in their lives uh, just by becoming a dad. so I think that's really special to hear them talk about it like that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I want to take a minute just to acknowledge you, um, because I don't think, I don't think you re- you allow yourself to receive enough credit you know when you, when you, you use words like, "And then I get this podcast." You didn't get this podcast. Like you didn't drive down to the 7-Eleven and wait in line and ask the cashier if you can, hey, you know what? Let me, let me get a podcast. You didn't go get a podcast. You built this podcast. This was a vision of yours that was followed by action and then continued action and consistent action. And I'm sure there was a hundred people that said no to coming on your podcast or didn't even reply to you, but you continued to pound the pavement and you have created this podcast. You've created influence. You've created a butterfly effect because the words that you and I are exchanging right now are going to be heard by people and hopefully they're going to be received by people and applied by people which is going to create change. It's going to create influence within families and relationships and communities and cities and regions and states and countries and that's the world, man. Like You are creating that. so I just wanted to take a minute and let you know you didn't get a podcast, man. You created it, man, and that's amazing.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that, Steve. And I do get turned down quite a bit with the offers to come on the show here. I do trust in the ratio, though, that I got going here. Out of 10 people that I ask, five I never hear from, three will reject it. And then one will say they're on the fence and one will come on the show. So as I get those rejection emails, I get really excited because I know it's just a a couple of more and bang, I'm going to have another great guest. So I've really, you know, I've turned my own perception around and the way I look at it has definitely changed and helped me out
1: it's it's powerful man it's it's fun to be a part of of something like this because you know it's it's not something that that does anything for anyone but it does everything for everyone because this is a podcast for fathers but this impacts women in a in a deep way because the conversations that that I have on on my podcast either alongside my wife as a co-host or the conversations that I have with the other guests that come on my show end up always following back to some component or, of family, some component of relationship, and some component of, of fatherhood. Because that's it's so important to me. So like when I have, you know, a super successful person like Joel Marion, a guy that went from zero to a $100 million in 18 months with a supplement company, like I don't want to know, I don't want to know, I'm, I'm more interested in how his father showed up for him that helped him to become the person that he is to achieve the um, accolades that he's achieved, I want to know that because I want to help build that in my son and in my daughter because the tactics to be able to go from zero to 100 million, they'll change from week to week, especially with the social media landscape that we have of social media marketing. The way you make $100 million in 18 months Five years ago is completely different to, to how you would tactically approach making $100 million in 18 months nowadays. So I'm less concerned with the mechanisms and the tactics for success and much more concerned with the parental influence that I can become that will inspire that and uncover that in, in my children and, and then the, the fathers that, that listen to my show as well. So it's, it's powerful to be able to align with the same men that have the same mentality and you know it's men on a mission.
0: Yeah I've actually had Joel on the podcast as well. (laughs) Really dude you've had all my
1: boys on the show man that's cool.
0: (laughs) Time to get an important word from our sponsors and then right back with more from Steve Weatherford. I'm Alec Lace and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Seat Geek. Taking your kids to the ball game is one of the greatest experiences in all of fatherhood. And now, First Class Fatherhood has partnered with SeatGeek and you can save $20 off your next ticket purchase by using the promo code First class, that's one word, first class. Maybe you want to go to a Broadway show, a concert. SeatGeek has the best prices for a wide variety of events. It's a slam dunk deal, dads. Get over to www.seatgeek.com and use the promo code FIRSTCLASS to get $20 off your next ticket purchase. SeatGeek.com. (laughs) <laughs> all right, let me reel this back into fatherhood here. I'm always curious with guys that have just as many kids or more than I do. Um, the hardest transition for my wife and I were the one that presented the most challenge for us was going from two kids to three. Uh, that was by far for us the most difficult. What would you say was presented the biggest challenge for you as far as denomination of kids?
1: Uh, it was three to four for us, believe it or not. I thought it was going to be two to three because you go from, you know, playing man-to-man defense to all of a sudden you're in zone. Like, I'll take those two. You take that one, or you know between the two of us, let's just watch all three. when we went from three to four it was it was madness because I would typically take the two older kids you know i was I was really really um I was really, really supportive to to what my wife's needs were, you know as a parental group. Um, with the two older kids, because typically the older kids are really going to want to, like, move around and do things and experience things, whereas, like, a baby is going to be pretty static and not have, um, not require as much space, but require much more patience, which is not my strong suit. So I would take the two older kids, and she would take the youngest, uh, because my wife breastfed for, for all the babies. And when we went to three when I would have to handle three and she takes the babies, uh, it was really difficult for me. So that if we tried to split it up two and two, here she is, you know, she's still nursing a baby and then trying to, to keep up with a two- or three-year-old, which two- or three-year-olds really don't listen and they're freaking really busy and they can hurt themselves really easily because they don't really, like, understand what's dangerous. So that was definitely the, the most difficult for us was three to four, four to five, like, my house is already a zoo, so from going from four to five, it's like, dude, we just welcomed another creature to the petting zoo. Come on in. You know, fend <laughs> for yourself because it's a bunch of savages in this family.
0: <laughs> All right. Did you um did you do any kind of gender reveal party for the sex to find out what you were having, or did you wait it out until the end for the surprise? Uh,
1: we, we had a mixture. We found out it was going to be a boy uh, with my first. The second one We didn't do a gender reveal and we found out like on delivery day. And because I this is gonna get a little graphic, but it's funny. I had no idea that when little girls are born that their their private area is swollen, right? And I had no idea. So as my daughter comes into this world, I think it's a boy. Because I think it's a little nut sack that I see. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I'm like, oh, it's a boy. And I really didn't care if it was a boy or a girl. I truly didn't. And then when the doctor says, congratulations, it's, you know, it's a nine-pound baby girl. And it wasn't that I was disappointed, but I was shocked because I thought I could see that it was a boy and I had, I guess, some type of look on my face and probably had a lot to do with hormones as well. My wife just instantly starts crying. Like, literally, she's holding her baby and crying because she thinks I'm disappointed. Um, and then with the, the next three, uh, we found out what they are.
0: Okay, Steve, one of the most challenging things for me as a father is disciplining uh, my little girl. She's my only girl. She's the baby. Uh, So I struggle with that quite a bit when it comes to disciplining her. You have four girls. How are you with disciplining all your kids as a father?
1: Uh, I'm very good at handling discipline. Um, and, And the way that I'm able to do that, because it is, man, I don't care what you say. There's a difference between a little boy and a little girl. Like we can say all we want, like you know, we, we parent one way. That's a load of crap, you know. Regardless if you think you do or you think you don't, it's different with girls. And um, but with that with that being said, how do I handle the discipline? Is it, it, it's very simple to me. I'm constantly asking myself, and it happens more than once a day. Because I got five kids, so there's a lot of micro interactions that I have with my kids. And I have to be on my game because I'm responsible for building them up. So when it comes to discipline, like if I truly, truly, you know, want to see my my daughters become powerful and, and generous and, and bold and courageous and independent, I I need to be able to mold them into that. So I need to be able to separate myself from the feeling that I'm having in in the moment of needing to apply discipline. And so I operate on this system, and, and it's gonna I apply this to every single facet of my life. There's a difference between an amateur and there's a difference be, between a pro, and it's very very simple. The difference between an amateur and a pro is amateurs make their decisions based upon feeling. I don't feel like, you know, getting up in the morning. I don't feel like working out. Ah, oh, you know what? I don't feel like, you know, only eating half of my rice tonight. I don't feel like going to work. That's how amateurs operate. Pros operate on commitment. A pro is committed to getting up early, so he gets up early. He doesn't wake up when the alarm goes off and then decide whether or not to get out of bed. He decided that before he went to sleep, he's committed to getting up. He's decided that he's committed to eating what he should in a day. He's committed to his health and wellness, so he's going to get his workout in. He's committed to his marriage, so when he gets that direct message on Instagram with this girl that lives in the next town over, and she's sending him naked pictures, enticing him into infidelity, he doesn't make a decision off of what his body might want. He makes a decision on what he's committed to. He's committed to being monogamous and committed to his wife and his marriage and his kids. You know, there might be a car out there or a watch out there that you might want, that you can't afford. Are you going to operate on what you feel because you really, really want it? Or are you going to operate on what you're committed to, saving the money until you get the X amount and then you can buy that car? Set goals for yourself and be committed to them. So the difference in between a pro and Uh, an amateur and a pro, I think I made very clear, at least I hope I did. So when it comes to discipline in my daughters, I don't do what I feel. Like, I don't want want to to give punishments to my daughters, and I don't want to send them to their room if they're talking back to their mom. I don't want to punish them if they don't do what they were committed to doing. If they have chores and they're committed to those chores and they don't do them, I'm not going to operate off of my feelings because, They're so cute, and they hug me, and they make me feel a certain type of way, and they manipulate me by giving me the daddy eyes. That doesn't work for me. And so they don't even try it anymore when they know they made a mistake and they have to pay the price. It becomes easier and easier for them to punish themselves because they know there is no other recourse. So I'm just very, very consistent with what I'm committed to versus what I'm feeling.
0: Very well said, Steve. And I've seen that um, lover of Jesus on your Instagram bio. I love when I see that on people's accounts who are big influencers because I keep God first in my life and God has definitely come under attack in this country as well. He's been removed from our school systems and, and everywhere else. When did you become so strong in your faith? Was it during uh, your playing days? Did it come after or has it always been there?
1: I grew up in the church, you know, so, so you know, faith um, was always something that ran very, very deep. In my family, and I was the black sheep of my family, you know. Dude, I was I was smoking cigarettes. I was smoking weed. I was drinking. I was having sex in in high school, um, all the while growing up in the church. You know, I mean, I'll just keep it 100% with you. And even, um, you know, my wife doesn't love when I, I speak about this. But this is my truth, and I think men need to hear this. Like, I was not faithful to my, my wife when we were in college, and we were boyfriend and girlfriend. I wasn't faithful to her then. Um, but in order for me to kind of break that that curse in my life and not pass that on to my son, I need to be real with my son. So if my son ever asks me that question, um, he's 11 years old. You know, when he gets to the age and he starts to ask questions about relationships or pornography or you know having sex before you get married, like all those different things that I like, I wish I would have done it a better way. I'm actually thankful that I lived the life that I lived because I know it was not honoring God. And I know it wasn't operating in what I'm committed to, but that's the journey that I needed to go through, and experience the pains of living life that way before I would experience the effortlessness of operating on your commitment versus operating on a feeling. Because I don't really, there's not like a ton of decisions that I have to make in a day outside of what I'm committed to. You know, I, I it's a very simple decision making process. If I'm committed to something, then the decision is taken away from me. You know, I'm committed to my family. I'm committed to serving my employees. I'm committed to serving the people that do our programs and take our supplements and and receive personal coaching from me. I'm committed to that. And if something outside of those, then I get to make a decision. But unless it is in line with my four components of passion, which are faith, family, fitness, and philanthropy, If it doesn't fit in those four components of passion, faith, family, fitness, and philanthropy, then I don't have time for it because I'm trying to invest time in my life. I'm not trying to spend it. If I am investing time in my faith, I'm nurturing my relationship with my God. If If I'm investing time into my family, the return on that investment is nurturing that relationship and growing a deeper understanding of that person and a deeper understanding of how I need to show up to best serve that relationship in my family, regardless if that's my daughter, my son, or my wife, or my dear friends. I'm deeply committed to my fitness, so I invest time into my fitness, and the yield on that investment is a bigger, stronger, healthier, more athletic, more effective version of myself. Because if you think for one second, the hour and a half of self-care Sometimes two hours of self-care that I spend on myself every single morning doesn't drastically influence the next 15 hours of my day. You're crazy because that's a huge impact on it. And then with philanthropy, you know, I invest money. I invest time into philanthropic initiatives. And because of those initiatives, I'm giving people, I'm giving children, I'm giving families opportunities. So if it's it's outside of those components of passion, I'm not really interested in spending my time. I'm investing my time on the podcast with you right now because the yield on, on that disinvestment of time for you and for me is going to be influencing and impacting the people that listen to it and their families.
0: Yeah, so cool, Steve. Very impressive. And I usually ask all the NFL players that I have on the show here how they feel about this because it's another difficult decision for a lot of dads out there is whether or not to let their kids play tackle football, especially with all the reports about CTE that we have. So how would you feel about your son playing tackle football?
1: Uh, for me, and this is, you know, I don't, I don't throw shade or judgment on, on any parents that think football is good for their kids to play. Um, I'm not going to tell them that it's bad, but me, for me personally, uh, my son won't be playing tackle football. Um, and you know, if he makes a, a decision that he absolutely is going to play football, I'm going to discourage it. But at the end of the day, I'm going to allow my son to to make his own choice. But my son is old enough that he got to experience a deep and meaningful relationship with with two, well, really, if you want to say, three teammates uh, that I played with in in the professional. And during my tenure tenure NFL career, and two of them are not with us anymore, one being Junior Seau. He was my training partner nearly every day of the offseason for six years, and he's not with us anymore. And that was directly attributed to CTE damage. And another teammate of mine's name is Tyler Sash, obviously much less known of a guy but doesn't make him less of a person. He just only played in the NFL for two years. And because of CTE, he ended up taking his own life with painkillers And he ended up having more CTE damage after two years in the NFL than Junior Seau did after 20 years in the NFL. So, you know, you you just never know. And so I don't want to selectively make a decision of putting my son in that type of, you know, arena that it's so prevalent. And then the third person is is a teammate of mine for three seasons in New Orleans. And a lot of people have heard of this guy's name is Steve Gleason and he's still with us, but he's in the later stages of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and he's one of the most impactful people that I've had the opportunity to, to come into my life, and my son has uh, really good relationships with Junior Seau and Steve Gleason, and he knows Tyler, but my, my son, knowing those people as well as he does, has seen what football has has robbed from them and from their families, and So my son plays flag football and absolutely loves it, but he has no interest in putting the pads on and banging his head into another person.
0: Okay, yeah, my kids love playing flag as well. Uh, Was the timing just right for you, Steve, or did having kids influence your decision to retire from the NFL?
1: Big time. Yeah, big, big time. Um, You know, I I set a number for myself, a financial number for myself, and, and once I got to that financial number of, like, you know, what would give me not, you know, financial freedom forever, but it would give me it would give me financial freedom for several years to figure out like where God wanted me next. But after I played for 10 years, um I just looked at the amount of time, energy, effort and how much of my life I was investing into, you know, being one of the best in the world at what I did. And then I looked at the compensation for that, and not just the money, just, like, my fulfillment, more important than the money, but the, like, what did I put into football, and then what did I personally get from it? And it started in the, you know, in my eighth, ninth, and tenth year, it started to decline. And it wasn't to the point where I was, like, miserable doing it, but it started to lose its its flavor to me. It started to be bland to me. It started to be more of a groundhog day. And I felt like I was exchanging days of my life for dollars and cents. And so I had a conversation with my wife after my 10th season, and she thought I was crazy, you know, from walking away from, you know, two, three million dollars a year for literally doing really not that much. You now, granted, I had to work really, really hard, but I only played, you know, five, six, seven plays a game, some sometimes less than that, And I was making, you know, $150,000, $200,000 a week. And although that was, you know, extraordinary, and I'm so thankful for that, I knew God had something bigger in store for me. And so I just, I trusted that, that gut instinct. Now, I wouldn't have been able to just trust that gut instinct and jump off of a cliff if, you know, I hadn't had the financial blessings of my life previous to that. However, God placed me, in a position that I got to make a decision based upon what I wanted my legacy to be and what I want to be remembered by. And I, when I'm dead and gone, I don't want to be remembered for being like the, the best punter ever. I, if I leave this world and i remember remembered by my family for being the greatest dad that I could be, not compared, not compared to other people, the greatest dad that I could possibly be, if I was able... To, to live that, or even close to that, I'll consider my time on this planet worth it. But I want to do that and so much more. And football just wasn't helping me get there any faster. It was actually slowing me
0: down. Good stuff, Steve. All right. You've had so many accomplishments in your life. You're only 36 years old. You've got that Super Bowl ring on your finger there. What's next for you? What kind of goals do you have for yourself coming up for this year and beyond?
1: Um. Well, you know, I Certain fathers for sure twenty nineteen is is the year that I really want to go all in on sharing experiences, sharing struggles um, showing showing men and showing husbands like what's possible in their marriage what's what's possible in their business what's possible in their relationships what's possible in the relationship they have with their kids it's i, I I've seen it so much that people think they have they have to make a choice in between having an incredible career or being a great dad. And there's this misnomer, there's this myth that society has created and men have created. And they've, they've created this to stop themselves from stepping up in a powerful way. We get, we get to, we don't have to, we get to live a life where we, we get to provide massive abundance for our family by way of the lifestyle that we give them. But we also get to show up in a, Powerful way as a husband. We get to show up in a powerful way as a mentor for our kids because our kids, there's going to come a time where they're going to stop doing what we say and they're going to start doing what we do. So it's important for men to know let me just showcase what a champion is. And I'm not talking about winning the Super Bowl or making a lot of money. Like being a champion is not about sports, being a champion is about the relationship you have with yourself. And I want to live a championship lifestyle every single day. I want to come home and look in the mirror and brush my teeth, and I want to be able to say I won today based upon the promises that I made to myself and the promises that I kept to myself. Was I a man of integrity? Was I a man of honor? Was I accountable today? If if I have integrity, honor, and accountability, I know I'm going to be proud of myself when I brush my teeth at night. So going back to your, your question, I want to serve fathers in a really deep and meaningful way and and to me that doesn't mean creating some type of curriculum that people go through and they don 't have access to me. That means me actually making myself hyper available to people so um, depending on when this podcast comes out, I may or may not already be coaching these guys and i'm I'm looking for twenty men that are looking to level up uh, their life, you know not just their finances but people that want to live a championship-caliber marriage, a championship-caliber financial situation, relationships. And, and over the past three months, I've been, you know, working with my wife to create this curriculum, and, and I get to teach this on a one-on-one basis with, with weekly phone calls with these guys. And I'm just really excited about that because I've served at scale. You know, when I say served at scale, you know, you play football and, you know, 100,000 people in the stadium and 72 million people watching the Super Bowl at home. That's um, scale, you know, and then I start my, my entrepreneurial journey in fitness and supplements, and I serve people at scale. You know, you're selling hundreds of programs or, you know, thousands of supplements, and that's awesome, and it influences and impacts, but I'm missing that intimacy of, you know, taking somebody through the starting line of where they're at right now and not just giving, giving them the tools but actually working with them weekly on how to apply them into their life And I hope in my mind, I hope I love it as much as what I think I'm going to love it because like I, I lay in bed at night and and dream about like what I can create that is going to help move the needle in these father's lives.
0: Okay, Steve, do you have the 20 guys picked out yet? Or if this is something my listeners are interested in jumping in on, uh, is there still a chance for them to do so?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is how early it is. I, I haven't even created a website on it. I'm I'm nearly finished. I've got nine out of the twelve months, the curriculum with you know the weekly topics and and the different destination meetups that we're gonna have. I've got all that stuff planned out. So I've got three more months of curriculum I want to map out. Then I'm gonna build a website that's gonna describe in full exactly what's gonna be entailed in the twelve months. So I don't have the website yet, but. Yeah, I just encourage the listeners, man, if, if, if this was something that was valuable to you, follow me on social media, at Weatherford5. I've got a YouTube channel that I'm going to start creating a little bit more content on, and, um, you know, it's hyperactive as I have probably seen on this podcast, I'm just that hyperactive on social media. So if anybody has any questions, just send me a DM on, on Instagram. I monitor and and reply to all of those myself. I don't have anybody that does that. Uh, Because I really want to have my finger on the pulse of how I can best serve people, and although it's really time-consuming replying to everybody every single day, um, it allows me to mold and shape the content that I create to make sure that I'm giving people what they need and giving people what they want, not what I think they want. So send me a message on uh, direct message on Instagram, follow on social media, and uh, and then I've got my podcast as well. We really we, we talk about the same stuff, man. So. You know, maybe maybe we'll get you on the schedule and have you on my podcast and we can do some more dad talk.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I would love that, Steve. I am going to put a link in the description of this podcast episode of your Instagram account so my listeners can just tap the link, get over there, follow you, find out more about you and the upcoming project. Last thing I want to hit you with here, Steve, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice would you have for that new father or for that about-to-be dad who's out there listening?
1: It's ah, a great question. I think I think that best advice that I could give to a dad is you get to reinvent yourself every single day. Every single day that we wake up, we have an opportunity to reinvent ourselves. And our family is going to evolve. Our kids will get older. Our, our wives will get older. Their their needs will change. And And it's not our responsibility. It's actually our opportunity to reinvent ourselves every single day and evolve with our family, um, not just to meet their needs, but because we get to do that. So we get an opportunity to evolve every day. We don't have to evolve. We get to evolve. And I think it all comes back to really just viewing the finite amount of time that we have on this earth as a get-to. Like, we don't have to live. We get to live. You know what the freaking statistics are for the percentage chances that you were actually born it's in the trillions, one in trillion that you're the person that actually was born when you were born. And and I think really just being vigilant with your perspective and reinventing yourself every single day and reminding yourself that this is being a dad is an opportunity and not an obligation.
0: Very well said. I love the message. I really admire your philosophy on life. This has been a lot of fun and a pleasure for me. So I have to say, Steve Weatherford, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. It's been an honor.
0: Okay, wrapping things up in just a second here. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Steve Weatherford for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM over on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. And then lock it in. Got a couple of more episodes dropping on you this week, tomorrow broadway star robert creighton he's currently playing the villain in disney's frozen on broadway he played my favorite actor of all time james cagney on the stage so don't miss out on that it's going to be a lot of fun and then we're going to close out the week here with a Frogman friday episode with former navy seal chad williams so Uh, A lot more still coming your way here. Please pass this podcast around to any father in your neighborhood or in your contact list there. Sharing is caring. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.